Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Outtake episode from Hobby Hotline from Saturday, August 26th, obviously 2023. <laughs> this would be episode 1109. This is shortly after the Hobby Hotline. The live show was an hour. This is a 12-minute segment, mainly talking about the breaking news from last week with the NFLPA effectively immediately terminating Panini's license. And then we also talked about Brian Gray just a few days ago has announced his sort of resignation as CEO from Leaf. He didn't found Leaf, but he founded the new incarnation of Leaf and has been the driving force behind it. Not sure how that's going to work out, but I do encourage Brian understand some of his feelings perhaps. And I'm sure I'll visit with him about that at some point. It's tough to leave or step back from something you birthed, that you nurtured. So those are the topics. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, sponsors. Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugsman Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Danny Black and Rich Klein were with me, and we had a good time. Monday night, news drops that the NFL Players Association is revoking their license from Panini and immediately transferring it to Fanatics, which is an interesting move. There's some legal reasons where they may or may not be able to do this, and it'll head to court. And there's still lawsuits between Panini and Fanatics. Dr. Beckett, where are we right now? 19 years ago, I was in the crosshairs of the Players Association, more baseball in those days with what was going on. And they're formidable. The players associations have much more of a sense of urgency than the leagues do because players have shorter careers, especially in football. So they don't dilly-dally. They're very clear about what they want to do. Their license is required. (laughs) Seemingly Panini had done right by them, but for whatever reason, they have moved very quickly as is their Maybe not their right, but their past, that's what they've done. Maybe this is just to get it into arbitration or some kind of litigation, but time's a-wasting for the NFLPA. I feel bad for Panini. It doesn't seem fair. There was some mention of change of control. Change of control usually isn't a contract for when a company is bought or sold and you don't like who it was sold to. The change of control is the fact that so many of the executives in Panini are now over at Fanatics. But these are the same executives that Fanatics is now saying were not competent, didn't do a great job for them. So there must be some subtext that I'm not getting. Or usually there's a provision for a cure that if you mess up, you get a chance to make it right on some 30, 60, 90 days, depending on the contract. It's rare. There's just an immediate ending of the contract with the ambiguity of what happens to things that are in process. And so I think that's going to get worked out pretty quickly. I think Panini is probably doing the right thing to keep moving because if they don't, they lose. If they stop everything they're doing, because there is a question of law here to me, whether or not they can do that. So we'll see how it plays out, Danny. I'm not happy about it. I don't think it's good for the hobby. But I'm not a Supreme Court justice or any other justice. (laughs) I think it's fair to point out that the leagues have a vested interest in fanatics. The players union has a vested interest in fanatics. There's investments and partnerships all the way around. I want to read the Players Association's announcement 
the NFLPA has terminated its trading card agreement with Panini. Effective immediately, Fanatics has the exclusive right to make NFLPA-branded trading cards. This decision has no impact on any individual player's contract agreements with Panini. If you represent players with existing Panini agreement, the NFLPA recommends that you encourage the players to fulfill their contract. The leagues already think like business people and think about investing in companies and entities and things like that. The Players Association, it's a little bit new for them to think like owners. They're individual owners of their own brand. They've come together in a licensing entity. But I think they're pretty excited about working with fanatics and getting a share of the profits of that entity. They don't have that with Panini. So I think they're just eager to get into that. They maybe have seen some early results from this first year of fanatics and thinking, let's accelerate that. Again, the legalities of the contract, contracts can be tight and they can be loose. But if you're the bigger entity, it doesn't matter as much because you have the power. Frankly, most of these licensing agreements are probably pretty one-sided in favor of the licensor. This is the standard agreement, and I'm sure they have outs that the licensee doesn't have. So it probably is a one-sided contract. And yet there's always language in a contract of what happens when there's termination and how it winds down or sunsets. So the terse language there is problematic. But like I said, Panini is moving forward to think, surely we already have the license for the cards that we have produced and we can distribute those. Going forward, they may not get cooperation from the Players Association to approve sets or to get autograph and other kinds of agreements in place as well. So it doesn't look good for the future. For the present, it might be that Panini wins, but the win is not very exciting to win to just get to print, to get to distribute what you already have. I don't like it, but again, I'm not against anybody. I'm in favor of the hobby. The NFLPA is fully on board that fanatics will be good for them. And that's more important to them than whether they're good for the hobby. It's not good for the hobby to have no football cards this year. There just seems like too much money on the line to really miss an entire year. I think everybody's for profit. I'm not trying to make fanatics mad, but it's in the best interest of the hobby, legalities aside, that Panini proceed and make the best of this awkward and perhaps ambiguous situation. So if they're continuing to send out football cards, that's good for card shops, that's good for distributors, it's good for collectors, investors, flippers, everybody, that there's new cards coming into the pipeline. This is the kind of thing where there's injunctions or very restraining orders. I do know from my legal experience, more from being an expert witness, but arbitration is very different from going to court, and it's also very different from mediation. It's cheaper than going to court with a, a federal or any kind of a lawsuit, but it's not like mediation where they're trying to bring the parties together. Arbitration is a decision of who's right and who's wrong. And my understanding is in arbitration, they're choosing A or B. It's not the compromise that you would have in mediation where there might be a third. Well, that there can be settlement. Some things yes. are settled as they get into arbitration. My experience has been that the arbitrators, I think like each side will pick an arbitrator and they together will pick the third arbitrator, which kind of is supposed to be impartial. But usually the arbitrators that are chosen have knowledge in the field. 
So it's not like picking a venue of a lawsuit that's filed in a certain state or district, and then you get a judge. You don't know what judge you're going to get. Arbitrators are generally pretty knowledgeable about the subject matter, and that's good. Then we'll have somebody that's not at square one trying to figure out, hey, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. And I'd love to see mediation, and yet the lack of mediation means this relationship is irrevocably broken, and they're not moving forward. It's a question of when. Absolutely. Pure speculation. Was there any communication with fanatics to try to push this to happen with the NFLPA? Who's going to admit that? You got Rico. (laughs) Basically, there shouldn't be this tortious interference with a contract. But my guess is, if you look at the contract, clearly the NFLP had some, some ways to get out of it. And whether it's flimsy, when you're the bigger party in an agreement, you have might makes right sometimes. They've already seen the early returns from what Fanatics has done with Tops and how that's enriched the Players Association. And it's not a secret that Fanatics supposedly offered double what Panini was paying in terms of royalties. And that may not even include the equity piece that they have. And so I think the NFLPA is in a hurry to get in on that. And I don't blame them for wanting that, but they need to do it legally. We're talking about making cards without licenses. Brian Gray did that for a lot of years in the hobby. And the news this week that he will no longer be CEO of Leaf has come out. He did show a path of how to run a card company without a license. I saw him briefly at the National. He did not seem to be quite as energetic at the National as previous years. I think recharging your batteries is a good idea. Brian's a lifer, by the way. He will be back. I agree, Rich. He needs to take care of his health. He doesn't look as healthy as he did a few years ago. Who does? But the thing that's interesting to me, because I do think he probably is a little bit younger than I was, but I also mentioned I wanted margin. I wanted to get my life back because I was so involved. It doesn't haunt me because I think I made the right decision, but Brian's going to be thinking about this. How much of Leaf was Brian? And so with Brian not there day to day or being the CEO, maybe he's the chairman of the board and maybe somebody else is running it, but something will be lost. How much or what type of loss it is, because he was the force behind Leaf. He talks about a great team. I had a great team, but I probably did not calculate what the loss would be when I had sold my company. And they said I was an advisor, but Something was lost. It wasn't so much the day-to-day. It's just that, like I say, some of the decisions that have been made over now 18 years, I wouldn't have made, but I didn't have the insight. So how much of that, if Brian's not there day-to-day, will he be missed? And I promise you he'll be missed. It, It might be huge, and it might be that everything runs pretty smoothly for a long time, but he was the force behind a lot of what they were doing. It's hard. You can feel like you're in prison because you have this great job that you love, but your family and your health could be suffering. You either got to sell out or resign from some of the day-to-day duties. I did not feel I could resign day-to-day duties and kick myself upstairs. I needed to sell and let somebody else call the shots. I'm still a lifer, but I'm on the outside looking in with my old company. And I think Brian's chosen a different approach. I really hope it works for him. 
Jim, I can assure you when you sold the company, it became a very different place. You did the best you could to take care of the employees that were there at the time and to do your best to try to ensure the long-term health. And what you did, it's still there 18 years later, whether we like all the twists and turns, the fact that it's still there 18 years after you sold the company is a pretty good testament to what you built. It's very interesting that he's not identified the CEO that he has, quote unquote, handpicked. It's obviously somebody known to him and probably somebody that will be known to us. The fact he hasn't mentioned it is allowing this first news to sink in. I'm thinking when I sold the company, the headlines weren't about Peter Goodmanson taking over. (laughs) They were about the transaction and here's what's happening. And then later on, there was an announcement of here's the new organizational structure. The New York Times headline was how much you sold it for. You didn't make the New York Times. Which was incorrect, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, that's the number I always use because that number was printed in a paper. So whether it's incorrect or not, it's a good number for me to use. I promise you it was incorrect, but when it's in the New York Times, what are you going to do? Sue them for a retraction? (laughs) Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story.